Welcome to Locked on Grizzlies. My name is Peter Edmiston. Thank you for checking out the podcast. Thank you for listening in to uh, what I have to say. For the next few minutes, we have a lot to discuss. A couple of games over the weekend, uh, two losses, thankfully. Tank continues. Uh, and some kind of one little area of discussion that I'm hoping to get into this week that I need your help with. So we're going to do that yeah, coming up here uh, on the uh, on the podcast. Thank you for checking it out. And again, I want to say thank you to everyone who is listening in and downloading the podcast and uh, giving it good reviews, telling friends. Any of that stuff is so vital. We as a network, the Locked On Podcast Network, just had our biggest uh, month in history. Uh, as a brand, as a network, we are uh, almost two and a half million downloads uh, just in the last month alone. So a huge thank you to everybody across all of the platforms, everyone who's downloading it, everyone who's a part of it. It is awesome. And uh, I want to say a big thank you to everybody to help make that possible, including all of you guys, because you guys are a big part of that too. So thank you for listening to uh, our little corner of the network here where the Grizzlies continue to lose. And that's what happened to uh, to them twice over the weekend in Portland and in Utah. And really, I think two historic in some respects, tanking losses. One tanking loss expected. The other, well, expected too, but in, in the manner that it happened, a little unexpected. Well, they're both incredible, really. So let's start with the first one uh, that happened on Friday in Utah against the Jazz. Grizzlies go three quarters, toe-to-toe, rough start, but end up um, right back in the ball game. Another standout performance by the electric Marshawn Brooks, who finishes with 24 points in this ballgame. But Grizzlies 80-76, led by Marc Gasol, having a fabulous game. Marcus off the charts. 11-12 from the field. Missed one shot. 6-7 from three. 28 points. Playing great. Does he play in the fourth quarter? He does not. Not a minute in the fourth quarter. For Marcus Gasol, um, this is one of the most blatant. If people ask you, "What does tanking look like?" This is the answer. What does tanking look like? This is the answer. If anyone says, "What does tanking look like?" This is what tanking looked like. I mean, this this is a clear case. And and obviously, the Grizzlies were a little freaked out by what happened. Uh, last week when they they messed around and won a couple games they didn't need to win and put themselves in a much more precarious situation you know now I think it's it's now it's now go time it's now time to get serious there are now as we speak five games left in the season but at that time seven games left in the season and it is extremely tight as you know uh, down at the bottom of the standings so d- don't mess around and once Marcus all got his minutes and was obviously in uh, really red hot form, they said, no, 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 can't have this. You know, the Hawks messed around and won in Utah. Can't be doing this. Cannot be having this. And the Grizzlies just shut them down. That is tanking. That If we were in a, let's be honest, if we're in a world where the NBA truly, truly cared about tanking, and I mean truly cared about it, then the Grizzlies would be fine. I mean, let's be honest, the Grizzlies would be fine because the situation that you saw and what clearly happened in this case was the Grizzlies trying to lose the game. 
we know that's kind of what they've been doing anyway. But to do it so obviously within a game, so clearly against normal strategy, not bringing back a guy that was really, really good for you, and obviously your best player on paper for the, in the entire roster, not bringing him back is obviously a tank move. So if, if the NBA really cared, like if, if Adam Silver's really in his office, like, you know, meditating over this, mulling it over, having a real deep think about what is, how are we going to fix this? What's wrong with the league? All this stuff. If that's really happening, then he looks at what happened that night in Utah and says, well, this is a travesty. And he finds the Grizzlies. Let's see if they actually do. I thus far have heard no such thing, have not heard about it, have not seen anything reported. So I'm assuming that at this point, at least, it has not happened. Um, but it was pretty clear the Grizzlies needed to lose that game, and they did. Now, second thing. Last night, Portland, this is more of a conventional-type tank, except for one thing. The Grizzlies didn't have Jermichael Green. Not a major factor there. Didn't have Andrew Harrison. Not a major factor there. Tyreek still out with personal reasons. Um, so that that is what it is. Marcus all played. The the one that was interesting was Marshawn Brooks, who hurt his ankle uh, at the end of the Utah game. I don't know. Perhaps Marshawn Brooks really was experiencing severe ankle pain. I don't want to diminish that if that were the case. But I think what you have here is the world's first 10-day tank the world's first example of sitting a guy on a 10-day contract because he's too dangerous to your to your chances of actually winning games guy who comes out of the block scoring 21 and 24 points part of a team that didn't need to win the game against the Blazers but did on Wednesday then backs that up with a pretty nice effort against Utah in the loss this guy's dangerous I mentioned on the podcast last week he's the third best scorer on the team and probably with Tyreek and Mike out, he'd be the best scorer out there. He showed it against Utah. You can't have that when you're trying to lose these games. So he is benched. Extraordinary turn of events. Truly is. Truly is. Because uh, <laughs> this is a situation where you don't want to mess around and accidentally win one. They've already won a game in Portland this year. Obviously, the circumstances were quite a bit different on November 7th, 2017, than they are now. But they've already won one there. I've never seen anything quite like that. And sure enough, they didn't win. And they were down. Uh, second half really just started off badly. And uh, they were down. Now, one thing that uh, was fun about this game was watching the Grizzlies um, <laughs> Make Myers Leonard look stupid. That was fun. Because Myers Leonard, he looked look he just is a very punchable looking guy. And you know, that is the truth. Guy's just very, very punchable. So um for him to kind of succeed, you just I don't know. You, you, do people like Myers Leonard? I don't, I don't I don't think they do. So he grabs a rebound and very audibly on the broadcast yells, Give me that. Sh- 
in S word. I can't, I don't know. I want to be somewhat family friendly on this thing. So I'm not going to say it, but you know what I mean? Give me that S. And very clearly to the point where Pete Pranica, our dear friend has to basically apologize and say, watch your mouth. Myers Leonard on the broadcast. From that point on, the Grizzlies, who are down 23, go on a 15-0 run to the point where the Blazers have to put their starters back in the game to finish off, which they did, uh, to finish off the Grizzlies. But the Grizzlies at least made it a game, and it was all predicated on Myers Leonard acting like a D-bag. That's beautiful. That is what the, the little joys you can get out of a tanking, crap, ridiculous season. Those are at least some of the things you can hang on to. And then on top of that, Atlanta knocks off Orlando yesterday in in what was a pretty big tank game and one that gave the Grizzlies a little bit of a lifeline because that knocks Atlanta back down to 22 wins. And I say down, of course, they added a win, but you know what I mean. You know what we mean. So the Grizzlies at 21 with five games left are in control of their own destiny as long as they can continue to lose. Should be easy enough against the Pelicans on Wednesday. Will get a little trickier, though, against Sacramento on Friday and Detroit on Sunday. That could be a tricky, very difficult situation. Got to bank those two before going on the road for the final two games of the season. Should be easy enough. I think right now, I think, again, we've had some weird stuff happen. Um, That game at Minnesota... Uh, in a week is going to be uh, that's that's one that is a little bit dangerous because the the Tim, Timberwolves are so bad uh, sometimes that you know they they can it can be really bad um, and we already saw the Grizzlies win in Minnesota earlier uh, in this process a couple weeks ago so it, it's very possible that the Grizzlies can uh, I guess that was a week ago geez it goes man the season is simultaneously flying by and crawling by uh, so you know it's possible for the Grizzlies to win that game. But the, the two at home are the ones that you really worry about. With Atlanta losing and them being tied with Orlando at 22 wins, you have a little bit of a buffer now. And you can you can control your own destiny to that two spot. Uh, if you lose one, or if you win one, drop down to 22, as long as everything stays kind of the same, you end up with what... And I think I got, I got, a, I got a couple of uh, emails and tweets from you guys about this, but I think we're dealing with a coin flip if the teams end up uh, on the same uh, number. So you're talking about a coin flip between, you know, what could be two, three, four. In that case, if the Grizzlies drop down to 22 wins and Atlanta and Orlando stay there. So you could end up going all the way down to, to fourth right now, which would drop you, you know, fairly considerably in, in, the, in the chance to get a top three pick. You'd still be okay, but... Uh, it, would, it would not be a disaster necessarily, but it wouldn't be ideal. You win a couple games, and then you start talking about uh, a much rougher situation. So for now, let's let's stick with that. But Atlanta did give the Grizzlies a, a little bit of a lifeline and gave them an opportunity to uh, hang in there and to control their own destiny to some extent um, at the uh, at the two spot. So we'll talk uh, more about that obviously as the week uh, continues uh, here on Locked on Grizzlies. Uh, A question for you guys after uh, we return from the break. All right, so as we continue here on Locked on Grizzlies, there is a Twitter uh, question that I have posted that goes along with this discussion. So feel free to check my Twitter, at Peter Edmiston, and comment and discuss. Uh, We'll get more into it 
uh, later on in the week. But I want to kind of introduce the topic and give you some things to think about as we continue here on the on the uh, kind of to end the season and this thing sort of dragging along. Think about this: the Grizzlies, it will appear, will have a coaching search to do. Um, this is something I don't know. I mean, JB Bickerstaff, I think, has done a, has done a, an admirable job. Uh, in the interim role, I like J.B. Bickerstaff a lot personally, and I think he's been dealt an extremely difficult hand, and he's doing the best that he can do with it. Uh, I don't know that the job has been so outstanding that you would have to keep J.B. I think he'd be a perfectly reasonable candidate based on what the Grizzlies have done in the past to, to do that, but I, I don't know. But let's think about where things are for the Grizzlies. Let's think about um, what the situation is. Let's think about what they've done in the past. And, and I asked the question on Twitter, um, do the Grizzlies have the right approach when it comes to a head coach? Let's lay down the ground rules. The Grizzlies have never, ever, at least in the last decade, going back after Hubie Brown and Mike Fratello, the Grizzlies haven't brought in established guys. Uh, That has not been their approach. They have never, at least in the last decade, paid anybody. I believe $2 million is the most that they have ever paid a head coach. And the going rate in the NBA now is typically quite a bit more than that. It's certainly for established guys, it is. You know, Steve Kerr out of the gate, Derek Fisher out of the gate, got $5 million. Guys are getting four pretty pretty regularly. The Grizzlies um, paid Fisdale two. Jaeger was making two. Lionel was making two. Ivoroni was making two. And look at those guys coming in. Look at look at what they all have in common. Okay? None of them were head coaches prior to getting the Grizzlies gig. The Grizzlies hired Ivoroni, who was 50, longtime assistant, hot assistant, and um, he did not do a great job. Bring in Lionel Hollins, who had not been a head coach uh, regularly. He did a much better job, but again, had never you know, established himself in that position. They don't even offer Lionel Hollins uh, a, a contract after the Western Conference final season because he was going to be making and he was going to be asking for more than uh, $2 million a year. And he ends up going to Brooklyn and making you know, more, more than that. Um, Dave Yeager comes in. And again, a guy who had never been a head coach, hot assistant, continuity with Lionel. They pay him the same kind of money, $2 million or so. Um, and once he starts angling for another gig, he looked for the Minnesota gig. He started sniffing around Sacramento Grizzlies, and he came to a an agreement. He was fired, um, but really it was orchestrated, in essence, to, to get him out of that, and the Grizzlies were pretty sick of the whole thing as well, so he was ready to go. They were ready to get rid of him, and... Um, that was pretty much that on that. They replace him with, who else? Another first-time coach, David Fisdale, who barely got a season to implement the quote-unquote program building and culture change that was required and what was asked of him when he was hired before he got fired. And the Grizzlies now sitting with J.B. Bickerstaff uh, could keep J.B. Of course, that would be in keeping with uh, what they've done in the past, or they could open up the floodgates and look for another coach. Maybe some of the names they've gone after, James Borrego, Spurs assistant, Torrey Messina, maybe even Becky Hammond, all on all on that staff, Nate Tibbetts, 
um, quite a few others on other staffs. You know, the Grizzlies have had relative success with this approach because of the core four for seven years. So my question is, are they right? Are they right not to value the head coaching position? And in your case, what do they, what should they do? Because I want to think outside the box for a second. I, I would assume that the Grizzlies, you know, established coaching candidates are going to be out there. But that has not typically been the Grizzlies' approach. Now, my thought is you got to do something to kind of juice up the the fan base amid a rebuild, potentially. Now, of course, you know, you have some, maybe some aspirations to do better next year, but um, you, you long-term, looking long-term, you're going to have to think maybe outside the box, do something a little different than they've done. I would think, what about Jay Wright, the Villanova head coach? Uh, Villanova will be competing in the national championship game on Monday night against Michigan. If they win, that will be two in three years for Villanova. He runs a very NBA-friendly style. For those of you that have not watched Villanova play, a lot of spacing, a lot of four and five out um, basketball, a lot of three-point shooting, you know, a lot of good off-ball movement, a lot of stuff that, that would, that would I think, translate very well to the NBA. You've seen, the obviously, the impact of a good college coach. Brad Stevens has done a wonderful job. Quinn Snyder has done a wonderful job. Those guys came from the college ranks. Has not always worked out, but I think things are a little bit different now, and he's more in the mold of those guys that would seem to be able to make the transition. And to me, it's it's... It's hard to argue how much Brad Stevens has meant to the Celtics. Obviously, I think, you know, Greg Popovich is on a different level. But what Brad Stevens has meant to the Celtics has been huge. What Quinn Snyder has meant for the Jazz has been very big. Um, So those are some examples, but do they represent the norm? Or are they on a very elite level and otherwise it really doesn't matter who your coach is? So my, tw- my, my Twitter question is, you know, how much, how important is the head coach? Very important, which would be like seven or more wins a season come from the head coach, like vital, like kind of important, four to six wins, uh, okay, one to three, or like don't, doesn't matter at all. And it's, I, you know, I go back and forth on, on this. I do think that if you have an elite coach, it matters a great deal. There's so many situations in the game where, even you know over the course of a regular season, so many games come down to a few possessions. And if you have a coach that can get you in the right play, in the right setup, can set up the right defense, can put the right personnel grouping out there, and you can win those four or five games that come down to that, or maybe even more, then that's huge. And that's the difference between a you know 40-win team and a 46-win team, or a 48-win team and a 55-win team, or something like that. That can be enormous. But by the same token, if you have a really good team or a really good player, like you know Cleveland, for example, I mean they've been just cycling through coaches, Ty Lue and Blatt, and you know and this right now they've got an interim coach because of Lue's health problems, and you know they're just kind of doing their thing. Doesn't seem to really make a huge difference one way or the other. Um, how important is the head coach to that team? Who's really running things? What if they had a Popovich type? Um, I don't know. So if you're a Grizzly fan, are you really, do you really want, are you looking for that guy? Do you want that guy to get the job done? 
Do you want that person in charge, that big time, and you want them to just go break out the the Brinks truck, pay whoever, maybe Jay Wright, who, whatever, get a get a a seriously big time, the best candidate they could possibly get, or do they go with what they've done for the last decade, bring in a Borrego or a whoever uh, off of somebody's staff, a good assistant coach, or maybe even keep JB and roll with it like that. What should they do? Let me know. Uh, shoot me a tweet at Peter Edmiston, email pedmiston at gmail.com. We'll talk more about it and we'll talk about the results later on in the week and kind of get into a little discussion about what the Grizzlies should do. They will not practice today. They'll get set tomorrow for the game against the Pelicans on a Wednesday and we'll see what they can do uh, against a team that is very motivated. Let's hope, uh, fingers crossed, they go ahead and lose that game without too much controversy. And uh, we'll see what happens on Friday when the aforementioned Dave Yeager and the Sacramento Kings, who did the Grizzlies a favor by continuing to win. They've won a surprising number of games down the stretch. De'Aaron Fox hits a last-second shot in a pretty ugly game to beat the Lakers uh, 84-83. So the Kings have done the Grizzlies a favor. Let's see if they can do it again on Friday. Thanks so much for listening and checking out the podcast and appreciate all you guys getting in touch. Look forward to hearing from you again on this one as we roll on here with Locked on Grizzlies.